Time now for the GX on Agriculture podcast. GX on Agriculture with Doug Falconer. Good afternoon and welcome to GX on Agriculture. Coming up on today's program, Farm Credit Canada says the 2023 crop will be the most expensive ever planted. We'll hear from senior economist Lee Anderson. Also on today's program, the latest Saskatchewan feeder cattle market report says prices were on the rise during the past week. Fonda Froats, the provincial cattle specialist, will join us to talk about that. We'll also have the weekly overview of the wheat market from Michael Wilton of Mercantile Consulting Venture. It was issued through the Saskatchewan Wheat Development Commission yesterday afternoon. And a new podcast has been developed in Saskatchewan to connect producers with consumers. We'll hear from Clinton Monchuk, who was with the Farm and Food Care Saskatchewan. All of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of GX on Agriculture. But first, it's time for the Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. With Phil Spivak from Precision Weather. And Phil, we have some thin cloud here, the odd snowflake floating by. Can we expect that to continue today? Yeah, but I think that's about the worst of it. A uh, snowflake rather than, you know, saying flurries just by standard terminology, but there's really not much around. Uh, the odd snowflake here and there really sums it up a whole lot better. A lot of cloud cover, though, and it's not that there's no snow anywhere. There's just not snow here. There is some snow heading a little farther east. Uh, looks like a little bit east of um, a little toward Brandon, a bit of snow all west of Winnipeg at this point, but that's where the core of the snow is, stretching from uh, central and western parts of Manitoba, southwestward across into uh, North Dakota. So we're, we're near the line. There's that little fringe line where there are a couple of flurries that actually are cutting across into extreme southeastern Saskatchewan, but barely and elsewhere. The stuff that's falling, not being picked up on radar because it has to actually be significant to do so, and it's not. Temperatures have been falling. We're uh, on the way down for now. We should level off and likely bounce a bit. And, you know, I, I say that, and I'm picturing this something on a trampoline going from a high level bouncing and then going way up. No, they're going to basically bounce and the feet may leave the ground if you're using the same imagery I'm using here. The temperature is not going to come up much. Should let, uh, bottom out minus 12 or so, maybe minus 13, maybe get back to minus 10. That may be optimistic, but uh, the temperature is pretty much where it's going to be, give or take a few degrees. The wind is up, and that means the wind chill is way down, down in the minus 20s through the afternoon. Tonight, with a mostly cloudy sky, any uh, flurry threat really even more negligible through the night, we drop off to minus 21. The wind will start to ease up beyond the evening. So the wind chill won't get into the extreme range overnight, but it will be cold even as the wind drops off to 10 to 20, that still puts the wind chill at or below minus 30 through a good portion of the night. During the day tomorrow, we'll watch for a passing flurry again. Better chance south of Yorkton, especially south of the Trans-Canada, but the chance for basically flurries of the same level of concern as today's. Not much tomorrow. Minus 13 is the high. Tomorrow night, still mostly cloudy, minus 24. That's the one consistent feature forecast is that there's a lot of cloudiness. Weather systems moving around, high pressure building in, but it never has a chance to firmly establish before another disturbance cuts it off, and that's why the cloud cover is persistent. By Thursday, the ridge is actually going to have a chance to build in through the day. So daytime is sunny. It's just 
and it happens to work out with the timing that way because by Thursday evening, cloud cover is right back in and it brings in a chance for a few flurries as well. This time, the flurry threat is for significant flurries. Don't confuse significant and likely to accumulate. We will probably see some flurries in the air that are actually noticeable flurries, may even get picked up on radar, but amounts still very negligible for anything that comes down late Thursday night into early Friday. Friday is a warmer day, partly sunny sky. As this high moves off to the east, a warm front slides in from the west, pushes the temperature up from uh, minus 15 Thursday to minus 1 on Friday. Then we start to drop back off, minus 8 on Saturday. Saturday, a little more of a significant flurry. Sunday, even more so. In fact, there could actually be some steadier snow on Sunday. That's ahead of what looks to be a few days of more Arctic conditions, running uh, pretty chilly for a good chunk of next week. That's Phil Spivak from Precision Weather. Temperatures around the region this hour. The Paw is at minus 17 degrees. Swan River, minus 11. Dauphin and Roblin, minus 9. Brandon, minus 1. Show Lake Russell, minus 6. Regina is at minus 15 degrees. Saskatoon, Hudson Bay, minus 13. Uh, Broadview, Mooseman, minus 11. Indian Head, minus 14. Winyard, Wadena, Calvington, minus 17. The Yorkton, Melville region has a cloudy sky. Uh, north northwest wind at 41 kilometers an hour. 76% is the relative humidity. The temperature is minus 12 degrees. With the wind chill, it feels more like minus 23 degrees. Yesterday, Yorkton reached a high of plus 4 degrees and dropped to a low of minus 6 degrees. There was no precipitation recorded in the 24-hour period ending at midnight last night. The normal high for this date is minus 8 degrees. The normal low is minus 19 degrees. The sun rose in Yorkton at 8.06 this morning, and it will set at 6.02 tonight. Extreme temperatures for Manitoba and Saskatchewan yesterday. The Manitoba hotspot was McCreary at plus 7 degrees. The cold spot to Dooley Lake at minus 26 degrees. The Saskatchewan hotspot yesterday was Maple Creek, which got up to plus 9 degrees. The cold spot was Uranium City at minus 28 degrees. And that's your agriculture weather. Farm Credit Canada says the 2023 crop will be the most expensive ever planted. FCC senior economist Lee Anderson says the Canadian crop input market achieved record sales last year of $21.8 billion, up 26% from the year before. So it, we're projecting them to grow again, close to 6% to just over $23 billion. It's driven mainly from rising uh, fertilizer and fuel prices uh, the last year and just other supply chain issues. And, you know, the war in Ukraine is really driving a lot of that as well. That's why he believes the 2023 crop will be the most expensive ever planted in Saskatchewan. That's what we are expecting it to be. We have seen some fertilizer prices soften recently, but we're still expecting it to be the most expensive crop planted this spring. Anderson provides his outlook for fertilizer prices and availability. Availability, we are expecting fertilizer to be available for 
farmers in Western Canada. Prices a little bit softer, like I said, right now, but that kind of depends on a lot that's going on. We're going to see a lot of volatility continue in the marketplace. As for fuel prices... Fuel, we are projecting farm diesel prices to continue to rise in 2023. A lot of this is still driven by volatility in the global diesel market. Anderson has a prediction on how high the price of diesel might go. That could be close to 8% through the year. On the flip side, you could see potentially some downward pressure if global economic slowdown does occur. He also expects chemical and seed sales to rise this year. Yes, we do. We are projecting our chemical sales to increase about 5% in 2023. And of course, seed sales double that at a 10% seed sales driven by the high commodity prices of the last year. Anderson talks about the general outlook for farm income. The good news is we are still projecting our farm income mainly for grain oil seed and pulse producers will continue to rise in 23-24. So this will offset some of the increased uh, farm input prices. He then outlines the impact Russia's invasion of Ukraine has had on global agricultural markets. It's had a, a, a big impact on, on farming markets. We've seen curtailment in European fertilizer production. Last fall, they curtailed about 70% of their ammonia production, and this really led to a lot of that rise in fertilizer prices that we saw in the last year. And also on the, on the diesel side, Europe has just banned imports of Russian diesel on February 5th. Now, this created a lot of volatility in global diesel markets, and we project it to continue to do so. That's why we're seeing a large spread between diesel and gasoline prices at the pump. Europe rushed to buy a lot of Russian diesel before the ban. Now, after the ban, they will be going elsewhere in the world market to buy diesel, including North America. So this does put extra pressure on North American diesel supplies going forward. Uh, for the coming year, I guess there's still trends to monitor for what it will mean for fertilizer prices come springtime. We're watching seeded acreage estimates that are coming out. Currently, the market is favoring corn over soybeans in the U.S. From our perspective, this is uh, important to monitor because corn is a heavy fertilizer user. So if those seeded acreage exceed 92 million acres, we could see fertilizer prices rise more. So it will be important to monitor how that has an impact this spring, and of course, what the drought conditions in the U.S. materialize. Lee Anderson is senior economist with Regina-based Farm Credit Canada. It's time now for the Ag Review portion of our program. GX94, Ag Review. Corteva has made it official. Optimum Gly canola will be available for growers for seeding this year. The trait, which offers herbicide tolerance to a higher rate of glyphosate and over a wider window of application timing, received the last market approval almost exactly a month ago on January 13th. China was the last country Corteva was waiting on to green light the trait before its commercial release in North America. In 2023, Optimum Gly Canola will be offered for commercial planting in Canada and the United States through Corteva AgriScience seed brands Pioneer and Brevant Seeds. Farmers in Australia can find it under the Pioneer brand and see it in demonstration trials this year in preparation for full launch in 2024. 
Corteva also intends to broadly outlicense Optimum Gly herbicide tolerance technology. A private member's bill introduced by a Bloc Québécois MP is raising some eyebrows. Bill C-282 would essentially prevent any further concessions in future international trade deals when it comes to supply-managed sectors like dairy, poultry and eggs. During the Donald Trump-initiated review of the North American Free Trade Deal a few years ago, the Americans insisted on dairy concessions to reach a final agreement. Dan Darling is with the Canadian Agri-Food Trade Alliance. The United States for sure didn't get what they wanted as far as concessions on supply management, but there was a little bit of give and take and we're able to move on with it. There has to be a little bit of wiggle room uh, in negotiations. Not giving up the farm by any means, but a little bit of wiggle room. Darling says Bill C-282 would put severe limitations on Canadian negotiators to reach future trade deals. The federal government has committed another $150 million to Protein Industries Canada over the next five years, as the original funding for the innovation cluster expired last year. The Protein Initiative is one of five clusters receiving funding as part of the $750 million Global Innovation Cluster Program that was announced in the 2022 budget as a replacement for the Innovation Superclusters Program that was launched in 2017. During the first five-year mandate, Protein Industries Canada co-invested $173 million in federal funds into 55 projects involving plant-based food, feed and ingredients, leveraging $304 million in private investment. Information on the next round of funding, including how and when project expressions of interest will be accepted, will be announced in the coming weeks. Russia says it would be inappropriate to extend the Black Sea grain deal unless sanctions affecting its agricultural exports are lifted and other issues are resolved. The Black Sea Grain Initiative, signed by Russia and Ukraine last July, created a safe corridor to allow grain to be exported from Ukrainian ports blockaded by the war. The agreement, brokered by the United Nations and Turkey, was extended by a further 120 days in November and is up for a renewal again next month. But Russia has signaled it is unhappy with some of the aspects of the deal and asked for sanctions affecting its agricultural exports to be lifted. Russia's agricultural exports have not been explicitly targeted by Western sanctions, but Moscow says blocks on its payments, logistics and insurance industries are a barrier to it being able to export its own grains and fertilizers. A recent conversation between Canadian and Taiwanese officials included agriculture. Last Tuesday, Trade Minister Mary Ng spoke with John Deng, Taiwan's Minister Without Portfolio, in the capacity of Trade Representative. The two ministers agreed to begin formal negotiations on a foreign investment promotion and protection agreement and to build on the current trading relationship, especially in advanced manufacturing and agriculture. Taiwan is Canada's 13th largest trading partner and the 5th largest in Asia. In 2021, Canada was the 5th largest supplier of meat to Taiwan. 
That same year, Canada exported $41.2 million worth of soybeans to Taiwan. Canada also exported 8,046 metric tons of canola oil to Taiwan in 2021. China will increase its efforts to boost output of soybeans and edible oils, citing a key rural policy document as it continues to push for greater self-sufficiency in its key food supplies. The world's top soybean buyer is trying to lower its heavy reliance on imports of the oilseed as the pandemic, growing trade tensions and increasing climate disasters raise concerns about feeding its 1.4 billion people. In its annual rural policy blueprint, known as the Number One Document, the State Council, China's cabinet, reiterated a recently stated goal to boost grain production capacity by 50 million metric tons from current production of more than 650 million tons. It will seek to raise corn yields, further support wheat farmers, and vigorously promote rapeseed production, as well as lesser-known oilseed crops such as camelina. It will also speed up the commercialization of biotech corn and soybeans. No time frame was provided for the launch of GMO corn and soybeans, but many in the market expect to launch this year. And there should be changes to 2022-23 Argentina corn and wheat ending stocks, according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture's attaché in Buenos Aires. The Global Agricultural Information Network report cited a sharp increase in the carryover for corn and a smaller bump up when it came to wheat. The effects of Argentina's drought were at the root of the alterations. To that end, the attaché noted if rains come in February and March, then both crops could see the harmful effects of the drought reduced to some small measure. Also, the national government there stated export certificates for corn and wheat could be rolled back for 180 days to lessen the pressure off of the domestic market should supplies of either crop become tight. With federal elections set for October in Argentina, it's believed many farmers could hold off on selling their corn and wheat if a government more palatable to them can be elected. And that's the AgReview portion of our program. It's cloudy and minus 12 degrees in the Yorkton-Melville region. I'll have your complete weather details coming up at 1 o'clock. The latest Saskatchewan feeder cattle market report says prices were on the rise during the past week. Provincial cattle specialist Fonda Froats says prices for steers reached over $338 per hundredweight for 300 to 400 pounds. Saskatchewan feeder cattle prices were strong and experienced gains amongst all categories for both steers and heifers on the February 10th report. The largest gains were seen in the lighter weights for both steers and heifers. Feeder steer prices ranged from 338.67 per hundredweight for the three to four hundred pound category to two thirty seven oh five for the nine hundred plus category. Gains across the categories were from two thirty one at the lower end for the eight to nine hundred pound steers with the largest price increase week over week being the four to five hundred pound weight category, which were up an average of six forty one per hundredweight. Saskatchewan feeder heifers ranged from two sixty nine for the three to four hundred pound weight category to two sixteen sixty three for the eight hundred plus pound category. 
the three to four hundred pound category had the largest price increase of ten sixty two compared to the previous week, and the smallest increase was three eighty seven per hundred weight for the seven to eight hundred pound heifers. She tells us what the factors were behind the price changes. Yeah, we're seeing strong live cattle futures and demand for grass cattle that are supporting these feeder market pricing. Froats outlines the marketings. Cadfax reported volumes in Saskatchewan at 10,266 heads sold over the week, and this was just down from 14,068 the previous week, and uh, also below 14,002 head marketed in the same week last year. As for market-ready cattle prices, the Canfax price for Alberta-fed steers on February 10th was 194.10, and this was up 249 compared to the previous week, which was 191.61 on February 3rd. And compared to February 3rd, prices for Alberta slaughter cows were all up as well. D2 cows increased 217 per hundredweight over the week to average 104.07 and D3 cows were up 236 per hundredweight to average 89.67 per hundredweight for the week. Provincial cattle specialist Vonda Froats compiled this week's latest cattle market report for Saskatchewan. It's time now for the livestock market conditions. Livestock market conditions. U.S. live cattle futures for April are trading at 164.72, down 37. June live cattle trading at 160.27, down 15. March feeder cattle trading at 186.92, down 27. April feeder cattle trading at 191.15, down 45. April lean hogs trading at 87.25, up 90. May lean hogs trading at 95.97, up 47. And that's the livestock market conditions. A weekly overview of the wheat market has been provided by Michael Wilton of Mercantile Consulting Venture. It was issued through the Saskatchewan Wheat Development Commission yesterday afternoon. After a largely as expected USDA report, wheat futures shot higher on Friday as escalations in Ukraine renewed questions about Ukraine's ability to grow crops and the robustness of the trade quarter and the significant purchases and trades. Algeria's OAIC is believed to have bought another 400,000 tons of wheat on Thursday. The tender was for optional origin, but is expected to be mostly filled with Russian wheat. The price of the wheat was approximately $2.50 less than what they paid in their previous tender. Thailand bought 60,000 tons of feed wheat for April delivery. Taiwan reportedly bought an estimated 480,000 tons of various classes of U.S. wheat that will be shipped from the PNW in March and April. U.S. weekly export sales were just 131,000 tons for a season total of 599 million bushels, down 6% from last year against the USDA's projected 3% decline. And now for some of the most important news in the wheat market, we'll start with the USDA report. The USDA increased global wheat production by 2.5 million tons from last month. The increase was from larger production in Australia and Russia. 
Total production of 783.8 million tons is slightly 0.6% above last year. Global imports were raised by 2 million tons. The increase was led by a 1 million ton increase in EU imports to a record of 9 million tons. Chinese imports were also half a million ton higher to 10 million tons. Global exports were increased by 1.3 million tons. Exports from Australia, Russia, and Ukraine were each increased by half a million tons. Canada's exports were reduced by 1 million tons to 25 million tons. So, in the end, the USDA raised global ending stocks by 1 million tons. Most of these were in Australia and China. In Canada, according to Stats Canada, December 2022 non-Durham wheat stocks were at 18.6 million tons. This is a 30% increase from last year, but 10% less than December of 2020. Lower carry-in and strong export performance are underpinning the relatively low stock number. Monthly export data from Stats Canada shows that Canada exported 1.6 million tons of non-Durham wheat during December. China was the major buyer again, importing 379,000 tons during December, for an August-December total of 1.8 million tons, almost five and a half times more than the tonnage they imported the same time last year. Other major increases were in other countries. Customers from the Middle East, Africa, and South America are all buying strong volumes. The other countries category is up by 74% from last year. In Canadian Shipping Week 27, wheat exports were lower at 355,000 tons for a season total of 10.3 million tons. This was the lowest level of exports since harvest, but still above the average number of sales needed to meet the AAFC's 19.1 million ton export projection. For Durham, the Statistics Canada stocks report showed that Canadian Durham stocks as of December 2022 were 3.7 million tons. This is up 1.1 million tons from last year, but is still a robust decrease from the previous levels, down 24% from December 2020. Durham exports for Canada were 344,000 tons, for an August to December total of 1.9 million tons. Morocco was the top buyer in December, at 87,500 tons, for a season total of 285.1,000 tons. This is essentially unchanged from last year. A close second was Italy, who imported 82.2 thousand tons of Durham in December, for an August-December total of 650.6 thousand tons, which is almost triple of last year's volume. Algeria was absent in December, although we expect them to be good buyers in the new year. Similarly, Tunisia only bought 62 thousand tons in December, and we expect them to be back in the new year as well. Week 27 Canadian Durham exports were 97.1 thousand tons, for a season total of 2.8 million tons. Average exports needed to meet the AAFC's 4.8 million ton number is 80.3 thousand tons per week, which should be met and surpassed. As far as Durham recommendations, we would finish old crop Durham sales and would sell about 20% of your expected production at $12 a bushel. In the U.S., the USDA left the U.S. wheat balance sheet essentially unchanged. 
Less use and fewer exports in the soft red winter class were offset by larger exports of white wheat. Total use was reduced by 1 million bushels, resulting in a respective increase in ending stocks. U.S. wheat ending stocks of 567 million bushels are 14% smaller than last year. U.S. weekly export sales are, were at the low end of expectations at 131,000 tons for a season total of 599 million bushels. This is down 6% from last year compared to the USDA's unchanged expected export decline of 3%. 58% of the U.S. winter wheat crop is under drought conditions as of February 7th. This was unchanged from the previous week. There is currently no rain in the forecast for the U.S. winter wheat belt. In Australia, Australian wheat futures ended the week at the highest level in six weeks. This was despite the USDA raising their production number by 1.4 million tons to 38 million tons. In Argentina, there is little fresh news for wheat in Argentina. Farmer sales remain slow while mills and exporters struggle to fill their commitments. The USDA left Argentina's balance sheet entirely unchanged, with a production of 12.5 million tons and exports of 7.5 million tons. In India, India is expected to extend their ban on wheat exports, which expires in April. Wheat stocks in India have fallen to 17.2 million tons, down 49% from last year. The USDA left India's wheat export number at 5.9 million tons. In the European Union, the USDA increased EU imports by 1 million tons. Larger domestic use and 500,000 tons of more exports caused ending stocks to be 250,000 tons lower than last month at 11.06 million tons. Ending stocks of this amount are roughly four weeks of use, which we think is too low. The forecast has no rain in Europe for the next two weeks. Although conditions have improved from last month, a significant portion of the EU remains dry. Last week there were reports that dry conditions in France are hindering fertilizer uptake as the crop comes out of dormancy. In the Black Sea, most of the support in wheat futures last week came from the further escalation of the war in Ukraine, and complaints from Moscow that very little Russian grain has been moved through the trade corridor. Russia is likely positioning itself for the upcoming negotiations for the trade corridor, which expires on March 19th. The USDA raised Russian production by a million tons to 92 million tons. The increase was from higher spring wheat production. Russian feed use and exports were both raised by half a million tons for an unchanged ending stock number at 14.4 million tons. Ukraine's exports were raised by half a million tons to 13.5 million tons for a respective half a million ton decrease in ending stocks to 4.2 million tons. From February 15th to June 30th, Russia will have a 25.5 million ton all-grain export quota. This is not expected to have a significant impact on the flow of grain. In the coming week, the USDA Outlook Conference is on February 23rd to 24th. This will provide fresh ideas on the USDA's view on U.S. corn and wheat acres in the upcoming year. Global supply and demand estimates from the USDA will not be released until May, however. Otherwise, politics are playing an increasingly important role in wheat. 
We think the trade corridor will be extended, most likely, but there will be lots of talk and positioning leading up to the negotiations so that will keep the market choppy. Fund shorts and positive charts should keep wheat supported. We would finish old crop wheat sales at around $12 a bushel and would sell 20% of expected new crop production at $11 a bushel. That's Michael Wilton of Mercantile Consulting Venture in Winnipeg. It's time now for the Commodities Update. Commodities Update. Canola futures are trading down across the board this hour. March canola trading at 8.2750, down a dollar 70. May canola trading at 8.1890, down a dollar 90. March Minneapolis wheat trading at 9.34 and a quarter, up three and a half cents. March Kansas City wheat trading at 9.10 and three quarters, down one and a half cents. March Chicago wheat trading at 7.87 and a half, down four and a half cents. March corn trading at 6.82 and three quarters, down two and a quarter cents. March soybeans trading at 15.37 and a half, down five and a quarter cents. March oats trading at 3.68 and three quarters, down four and a half cents. And that's the commodities update. A new podcast has been developed in Saskatchewan to connect producers with consumers. The idea is to accurately answer any questions the public has about food production. The Ask a Farmer podcast comes directly from Farm and Food Care Saskatchewan's consumer brand, Canadian Food Focus. The podcast host is Clinton Monchuk, who in addition to his work with Farm and Food Care is involved in the family's egg producing farm in the Lanigan area of Saskatchewan. The idea was to bring a lot of the food kind of content to consumers with the undercurrent of how that food is being produced. We have articles online, we have videos, we have social media posts. We have a whole kind of different branding strategy around that to engage with consumers. The podcast is one added benefit that we see. We see more and more of of consumers and people in general are listening to podcasts. We feel this is a great way to have a conversation about food and some of the different subjects that are out there that consumers are interested in and have them listen to us. Sometimes in an article or or maybe a a one or a two minute video clip, you don't get all that information and and have some of those extra questions answered. The podcast gives us the ability to do that. So it's another added benefit of uh, being part of uh, Canadian Food Focus. He notes podcasts are growing in popularity. Exactly, exactly. And even when I talk to my own peer group, right, and, and people that, you know, I see on a daily basis, they're talking about different podcasts that are out there and they have different interests. And this is definitely a food-focused uh, podcast. Monchuk outlines some of the topics he will be exploring. Well, actually, we do a lot of work with the Canadian Centre for Food Integrity. So they usually help us identify what Canadian consumers are looking for in terms of information about food or different concerns they have with the food industry. Case in point, our first 
topic, we're going to be talking about food inflation and how everyday consumers can save money at the grocery store. And it's a great opportunity to walk through some of the ways that you can save money as a family, but also the reasons why food inflation exists right now to such a high degree. That's something that we've heard that consumers are concerned about. They have concerns or questions about how cattle are raised, how can we eat better each day. So these are a lot of the subjects that we're going to be talking about and expanding on them with different experts from across the country in in an effort, again, to engage with them and, and making sure that if they have other questions about food or farming or ranching, that they can ask us and, and we'll try and make a podcast specifically about that later on. He tells us why he believes this new podcast will benefit the industry. It's actually quite a few different facets to that. So one is when there's a stronger understanding of how the food is grown, there's a stronger trust. When there's a stronger trust, then all of a sudden a little bit of that worry that exists from consumers purchasing, whether it's different products that they're interested in or new products, a lot of that concern is is, uh, lowered. Right? So we want to make sure that Canadians have make confident decisions in their food and they're comfortable with the practices that we are doing on our own farms. That's Clinton Monchuk, the host of the new Ask a Farmer podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and other large podcasting platforms. Farm Bulletin Board. The Saskatchewan Water Security Agency is offering free workshops called Ag H2 Onward to introduce farmers and ranchers to the agricultural water management strategy in Saskatchewan. The workshops explore the process and benefits of obtaining drainage approvals and techniques to best manage water on their land. These free half-day workshops are being offered online and in person until April of this year. Scheduled in-person workshops will begin in March. This is the second consecutive year the Water Security Agency is hosting these workshops. The course covers various types of water management practices, such as surface ditches, tile drainage, and wetland consolidation. Completing a network project with neighboring landowners and using a qualified person to assist landowners through the process. The agricultural water management strategy is a made-in-Saskatchewan approach that supports economic growth, thriving communities, and resilient watersheds. It was implemented in 2015 to provide support and opportunities for farmers and ranchers to effectively manage excess water on agricultural land and safeguard against downstream flooding, water quality, and environmental impacts. Producers can learn more and register at agh2onward.ca. The Water Security Agency will also host in-person or online workshops for organizations, groups, or communities upon request. And that's all the time we have for today's Farm Bulletin Board. It's now 1 o'clock. Time to check the GX94 Precision Weather Forecast for the Quill Lakes, Hudson Bay, Swan River, Broadview Mooseman Indian Head and Yorkton Melville Roblin Russell regions today. Mainly cloudy, winds north northwest at 20 to 40, gusting over 50 at times, a high of minus 10. For tonight, mainly cloudy, winds northwest at 20 to 35, 
a low of minus 21. For tomorrow, mainly cloudy, winds northwest at 10 to 20, a high of minus 13, a low of minus 24. For Thursday, sunny, winds south-southeast at 10 to 20, a high of minus 15. For Friday, partly sunny at times, a high of minus 1, and Saturday, cloudy, a high of minus 8. In the Paw, it's minus 17 degrees, Swan River minus 11, Dauphin and Roblin minus 9, Brandon minus 1, Show Lake Russell minus 6. Regina is at minus 15, Saskatoon and Hudson Bay minus 13, Broadview Mooseman minus 11, Indian Head minus 14, Winyard Wadena Kelvington minus 17. The Yorkton-Melville region has a cloudy sky, a north-northwest wind at 41 kilometers an hour, 76% is the relative humidity. The temperature is minus 12 degrees, with the wind chill it feels more like minus 23 degrees. That's your agriculture weather and that'll do it for GX on Agriculture for today. Be sure to tune in again tomorrow at 1215 for another edition of the program. You've been listening to the GX on Agriculture podcast. 